0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share the stories of the Strong Towns movement in action. A warning right off the bat, today's episode is going to be a little bit of a Milwaukee love fest because my guest and I both call this city home, but it's a great city. What can I say? And honestly, if you bring up Milwaukee to the average person, including I think someone who lives here, they will probably immediately jump to talking about All the things that aren't going well in this city, all the areas that we need to improve on. And those are absolutely important. But I appreciate that Montavious Jones, today's guest on the show, starts by focusing on highlighting what's amazing about this Midwestern city, and then talking about how we can build on that to make it even better for everyone who lives here. Jones is a Strong Towns member who describes himself as getting radicalized about urban planning issues on Twitter. This conversation is actually a good argument for the positive potential of Twitter as a place to meet people, connect, and share ideas. Jones majored in commercial real estate in college and brings that expertise to his work today at a Community Development Financial Institution, or CDFI, as well as a lot of on-the-ground advocacy in Milwaukee. A few years ago, he also had the opportunity to travel around Central and South America, observing the ways so many cities to our south have built themselves with people as a priority, not just cars. In particular, he talks about his all-time favorite city, Mexico City, and why it is a perfect example of successful, strong urban planning. Jones sees the connections between the challenges that many communities, especially mid-sized cities like Milwaukee, face population stagnation, educational and health disparities, safety, housing affordability. He sees solutions in a strong town's approach to urban planning. In this conversation, we also talk about an initiative that he helps to lead called Urban Spaceship. I'll just leave that there as a teaser since the name alone is enough to get you intrigued, I'm sure. All right, so I hope you enjoy this conversation with Montavious Jones. Montavious Jones, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It is great to have you on the show today.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. I very much love what you guys are doing. So happy to lend my voice in any way that I can.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to start. Can you tell us a little about yourself and also how you came to be involved with Strong Towns?
1: That is a good question. I'll start with the easy part about me. I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, born and raised. Um, I'll probably be here my entire life. (laughs) I have a background in economic development, real estate development, professionally, educationally. And I am interested in making Milwaukee a more livable, welcoming, friendly, safe, vibrant place, and doing that through the built environment. Um, I got into this work because I got radicalized on Twitter over the years, just seeing, you know, different people from cities all over the world and what they were doing that was cool around built environment, urban planning, where they live and I wanted to get involved and it made me reflect more on what we were doing here in Milwaukee and I wanted to be able to bring some of the stuff I was seeing online into people's minds who weren't going to go on Twitter and learn about this stuff. Um, So I started reading books on urban planning, getting involved in local organizations who work in um, real estate development, Main Street, revitalization. I did a bit of traveling to go document some of this stuff. So my background's really just through experience, really. So I got involved with this kind of work and... I heard about Strong Towns probably in another book I was reading. I mentioned Strong Towns, or maybe I ran into an article online at some point, um, but then just started consuming everything that Strong Towns was putting out. And just it's like, this is what I've been thinking. is what I've been seeing in the world. And people have put it uh, to paper much better than I could explain it. So I've just been sharing as much as I can and involved where I can.
0: Yeah, great. And thanks so much for being a member too. I think probably the first place I encountered you was also on Twitter. So I'll make sure to share everyone's share with everyone your Twitter handle too. Ah
1: uh, yes, please do.
0: Yeah. And then realizing we both live in Milwaukee, our our wonderful city. Can you tell people about Milwaukee a little bit for those that aren't familiar? Like what is the, the community and what's the landscape like of this midsize Midwestern city?
1: I think Milwaukee punches above its weight. Uh, for people who haven't been here, so I went to college at Marquette University here in Milwaukee, and uh, one of my guys from New York, he said, "You know, I had never seen Milwaukee before I got here. I thought there would just be a bunch of deer running around." So apparently, in people's mind, this is like <laughs> the country or something. But no, it's a uh, it's, uh, it's a city. It's a city, city, and uh, you know, it's a. Uh, Easy place to live. Everybody's friendly. Um, cost of living is really low. There's always tons to do, especially in the summer. Um, you know, we get cold in the winter, so that's uh, that's something to consider too. But uh, we have a lot going for us. It's awesome being on the lake. We have great neighborhoods. We are the city of neighborhoods, after all. You find your community here. People are so welcoming here. It's, I, I hear from people who move here that it's hard to make friends and get into a new community when they go to other places. But here it's like, people are arms wide open. It's a, it's a great place to live for sure.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. We don't have to make this like just talking about how amazing Milwaukee is, but uh, yes, this is, this is a great city. And yeah, as you said, like, love how affordable it is. There's a lot to do and summer is definitely the best time there's like festivals and parades and street events happening every weekend it's awesome what about like what is the the urban form in the landscape like here since that's kind of your area of interest and field of expertise like um how would you describe our yeah the the, like the layout of the streets and houses and all that
1: yeah so we have a Traditional city grid that starts really in concentric circles starting downtown. So, that's the oldest part of the city, is the downtown area. Then it expands from there. So, downtown, you know, full of apartment buildings uh, mostly. Then, when you get further out, apartment buildings get smaller. And then you start getting into uh, neighborhoods where there are many duplexes. I think we have the highest per capita amount of duplexes in the entire country. Um, So in in an inordinate
0: amount of
1: family units here in the city, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, And then, you know, traditional main streets throughout the city, um, there's a commercial corridor surrounded by, you know, a few blocks of duplexes and some single family homes, a few apartments to get to the next commercial corridor. Uh, But then once you get a little further out from that, then it starts getting a bit sprawling, start getting box stores, um, big box retail more strip malls, larger parking lots. Um, and I think this is the story of a lot of Midwest cities um, that really started growing more and more in the you know, 50s and 60s and started adopting a more car-centric mentality about their urban planning.
0: Yes, yeah, definitely a common theme. So in your work, you know, I know that you've done a lot of different things to kind of help make our city better and think about economic development here, housing issues. What are some of the challenges that you have seen this community facing and like what drove you to try to start to work to address
1: those? I started really seeing what other cities were doing, first of all, because when you live in a city for so long, like I have, I've been here my entire life, I didn't know anything else besides Milwaukee. So you don't know what you don't know. You don't know how great your city is until you go see a city that you're like, man, my city's really great. Or you don't see the issues in your city until you go to another city or hear about another city. And you say, oh, I didn't know a city could be like this. And that's what uh, what's happening to me online for a couple years, um, probably starting, uh, let's say, 10 years ago. I was seeing what other people were doing in their cities and learning about built environment here in Milwaukee through that. So I was starting to see, you know, cars don't have to dominate the entire public space. I didn't know that was an option. I didn't know people walked places by choice. I didn't know people would take the bus or public transit by choice. I didn't know, you know, what's a bump out, what's a bike lane, you know, what's transit-oriented development. You don't know what you don't know until you see it somewhere else, and um, I wanted to capture that for other people. So we can start asking better questions here in Milwaukee about, you know, why are we lagging behind other Midwest cities and population growth? Why are we lagging behind other cities in the Midwest and um, educational attainment? Why do we have the health disparities that we have here? um, The other cities aren't, aren't seen. And what I found for me was, you know, it's really a product of your built environment. I needed to be able to tell that story better and faster than hoping people would spend, you know, two three years on Twitter and reading all these books like I was. Something I did was I got fed up with my life here in the city and the pace of building a better Milwaukee. So I had quit my job and I went to your travel and I wanted to capture what other cities were doing uh, that we weren't doing in the hopes that I would bring that back here to showcase what we could be. Cause we have so much potential here and we're not achieving it right now. So I quit my job. I was working in city government here, doing economic development for commercial corridors, main streets throughout the city and I I went to go travel in Central and South America because I heard these other cities down there were doing great stuff in their built environment and I wanted to capture that. So I went to Medellin, Colombia, which has just from what I hear transformed like just unimaginably over the last thirty years. I went to Mexico City, my favorite place in the world by far. Uh, Down in Costa Rica, I was in Guatemala, really capturing the built environment and how people were using it in ways that I had never considered or seen while I was living here.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. I know when we met last time, you were talking about how just amazing Mexico City is and how that's uh, such a great place to go as an example of what you can do with the urban form and making a place where people can walk and get around and all those good things. So love hearing about that. Um, what are like, I don't know, just like top highlights of Mexico City? Why should people go learn from that? Because I feel like it's an inclination of people, you know, on urbanist Twitter to point to Europe a lot as, okay, you know, um, we got we got our friend uh, over at Not Just Bikes talking about uh, the Netherlands, and we hear about, you know, England or France, um, but there's so much else in the world to learn from when it comes to building great cities. Um, so, yeah, like, what are some of the highlights from what you learned in Mexico City?
1: I, I get the sense that Mexico City, like, they had people at the forefront of their minds when they were planning out their city. If not at the original outside of planning, over the last, 10, 20 years, you could really see the difference. And I say it's people-centered because you can tell a place has been like designated uh, a place that people wanna gather and that should be dignified for them. They really take seriously that people want to be on foot, people want to take public transit and people want quality spaces to gather. So when you're in the parks, like these are park parks, like high quality, you could tell they're dropping crazy money on these parks, like high, high quality parks. And they're packed all the time. Little pocket neighborhood parks, the large parks that the tourists are going to go to and everything in between. They have so much going on for them. Um, the sidewalks are where proportionate. The transit system is actually dedicated to transit users. Is not a transit system that's laid on top of a um, car centric system and people get the scraps. But transit, first and foremost, there's bike lanes everywhere. Um, BRT systems, quality dedicated lane bus rapid transit systems. Um, markets everywhere where small entrepreneurs can get their start without high overhead cost and high startup cost. Um, it's just an amazing, amazing place. And uh, I think we would do well to learn from these other places that are often overlooked. Like you're saying, you know, a lot of times we're going to look to Europe for their great urban infrastructure, which of course they have. But there's stuff closer to home for us who are here in the U.S. Um, that we can learn from.
0: Okay, so you took some time to travel. I know your next move um, was to go work for a community development financial institution. How has that been? And what was that career choice about?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. So a uh, community development financial institution is uh, essentially a bank, but we do deals that banks usually won't touch. So um, I work for a company, Sinair, um based out of Lansing, Michigan, and we do, community development, um, real estate development, debt equity, the entire process to bring um, really transformative projects to communities. I work on the development side, so we mostly build affordable housing. And I got my start in real estate. I, I went to school for real estate at Marquette. Why? I don't know. I still don't. People ask me all the time, like, why? How'd you get into real estate? I don't know. Just one day I was at you know (laughs) like the bursar's office and applying to be a real estate major and you know i thank god for for that just like guidance to that because i i don't see my life without um, being in real estate at this point so we're really trying to deliver products and communities that um, can transform people's lives that um, give them you know the the base that they need which is uh, a house and roof over their head And once people have that, a lot of other stuff in their life can start falling into place, you know, better health outcomes, um, better educational outcomes, better job prospects, families stay together more often um, when they have quality homes. Um, So, yeah, this is, you know, what I wake up thinking about how to transform communities and a CDFI really helps you do that because real estate is... Uh, business where you have to make the numbers pencil out for sure, but we're doing it as a really mission-driven company.
0: Yeah, I love that. Do you have an interest in being like a small-scale developer, or you know, doing real estate like on the more for-profit side in your own life, or is that not not so much your interest?
1: No, that, that definitely is uh, one of my passions. Um, that's really what I like about the built environment. Those, what we would call missing middle housing and commercial um, projects. Um, and we have a ton of that available here in the city of Milwaukee. I'm guessing lots of other cities are in similar um, situations where there is a, a lack of housing and commercial development projects. Um, in the middle of the spectrum, so you have, which on the high end, large apartment buildings, mixed use buildings, you know, hundreds of units and then small single family house development. But we have an opportunity to do what cities have done for, for centuries, building where people are, building next to the amenities that they need to live their lives, building at a scale that can grow organically. Um, building at a scale that can grow incrementally over time when people have the resources to do the next um, best step, and that's that's what I'm interested in. So, yes, I, I do want to be a small-scale developer, um, and I thank God for the Incremental Development Alliance who has really shown... Um, people like myself and people around the country what that can look like Um, if you guys are not familiar audience with incremental development alliance I highly encourage you to check them out Um, they're doing great work training people um, like me who want to be in this in this field to to do um, this kind of work
0: yeah definitely huge fans of incremental development alliance over here as well so you're also a co-host and, um, I believe, a founder of something called Urban Spaceship. What is this? And tell us what motivated you and uh, your your colleagues to start that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so Urban Spaceship, um, I still don't know where this name came from. Uh, I will have to ask the co-host one day, like, what where are we come up with this name? But Urban Spaceship is uh, it started out as a conference, um, Empty Storefronts Conference, which organization here in Milwaukee, New Walkie started um, some years ago where.
0: Oh, yeah, would, I went to that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you're familiar. So what they would do is they would invite um, practitioners from around the country, really around the world um, to come into Milwaukee and give best practices on what they were doing to fill spaces in their commercial corridors or in their business districts. Um that evolved over the years to a more generally urban practitioner. So not only people who were looking at retail and storefronts, but people who were in planning and transportation, who were in housing development, who were in economic development, um, job creation, um, the entire gamut of what we need to have vibrant um, cities. And out of that came a podcast that started probably a couple of years ago now. Um, and that has morphed again into a live show and a kind of networking um, event. So what we'll do is we'll have a panel discussion, a presentation, networking event, all in one. We'll invite all our friends, mostly from Twitter, but anyone's welcome um, to come out and listen. And it's, it's been great. So we've had developers, um, planners, economic development practitioners, um, authors, all come out, and you know, we'll have a subject matter, usually something related to the city. You know, this highway expansion or not, or a real estate development project, or the need for bike lanes. Um, and then we'll have um, people come up to the mic and get feedback and talk. And it's just, uh, it's a great time. It's It's been great to be a part of. My dream for it is really to organize it into an entity or a group that can really um, advocate for the changes that we know we need to see in our city. Um, more density, more transportation op- options, safer streets, um, quality, Um, parks that are accessible to more and more people. And what I have found in the city is that the loudest voices are the people who are against the stuff we need for quality cities that that I just mentioned. Um, So what I want to do is be able to take all the passion and interest and skills that we've identified um, and people who show up to the Urban Spaceship show and conference and be able to direct that towards positive outcomes that will get us closer to the city that we all have in our head, that's vibrant, fun, equitable, safe, um, attracts people. Um, we have a new mayor recently in the city who wants to get us to a million people. And we're not doing that by providing abundant parking in front of your your single family house. We're not doing that because cars can zoom down the street and get to their destination 40 seconds faster. We're not gonna do that by shorting ourselves on quality public gathering places. And we need people who get that and can deliver that, that message and that story and who are willing to you know use their skill, time and talents to move us towards those goals.
0: Yeah, amen. I like the approach too of like not, you know, starting right with, okay, get people to show up to a public meeting or something, but rather like, let's have a conversation about these issues in our city and let's like make it a fun event that people can, you know, meet each other and then like moving it to advocacy. That seems like a much stronger starting place than just like trying to get people to submit public comment to a city council meeting or something, because that can be really intimidating.
1: Absolutely, and that's that's what we found. Um, people, one, they just want to gather. People have been cooped up in-house for the last two years, thanks to the pandemic. So people already want to gather, they want to get out, they want to um, hang out with their friends uh, and talk about the, uh, the goals and visions we have for the city. So that's one. But two, I found that people, Already is showing up to those public hearings and those meetings once they're energized about something once their eyes are open to something so many times i see people oh yeah i just got into into biking and now that i see you know these streets are so unsafe these potholes everywhere cars are going 50 miles per hour down the street these bike lanes are insult to my intelligence by calling them bike lanes because it's just paint on the ground we got to do something oh did you know you know go write your alderman, here's the public meeting. And people are more than willing to show up once they get it and once they're energized. So our approach is to first get people interested and knowledgeable, and then they take off running in whatever direction they they see fit. So if that's, you know, running for office, that's being on this or that board, if it's showing up to yell at the state highway, or the state um, department of transportation to uh, tell them don't expand this highway. People are doing it. Uh, We just needed to get them energized and it's, it's been very fruitful so far.
0: Yeah, that's a really great model. I hope people listening are inspired to try something similar where they live. What are some of the results that you're most proud of in your, you know, your work so far in all these different fields. I know that you're, you know, still young in your career, but you seem like you've done a lot. Like, what are you, what are you most excited about that you've accomplished so far or been part of?
1: I think we've changed the narrative. I think we're having different conversations here in Milwaukee. Actually, I know we are because of the, the work we've been doing, um, especially with Urban Spaceship. I just mentioned we have a new mayor. He dubbed himself the urbanist mayor. He follows us on Twitter. He sees the conversations we're having. He, he's in the know, and I think a lot of the um, initiatives and vision that he's put out is due to what we were talking about online. I can see directly, um, common teeth may have come directly from our conversations on, on Twitter. So we're changing the narrative. Um, recently, we had a ordinance change at the city level. Originally the commissioner of public works here in Milwaukee, public works is the department that does forestry and garbage collection. They maintain the roads. They're engineers. Um, I think most cities have a similar department on the books was a law that said the commissioner of public works has to have an engineering degree. Now, if we want better bike lanes, better transit options, safer streets, um, pedestrianized streets, if we want quality connections between places, we have to think differently than just throughput. How fast can we get the cars to go from point A to point B and make sure they can park as close to the entrance of wherever they're going? We have to move past that. And traditionally, engineers have been worried about that throughput. Um, Throughput and volume. how many cars we can get through the fastest safety um, and cost and alternative modes of transportation on the back burner, if even in the conversation. So what we did was we got this ordinance changed. Um, We supported a letter to the mayor's office and he got it pushed through the Common Council. And now that requirement's off the books. So now we can have people who are not solely focused on car throughput leading this organization. uh, And I believe that's gonna be transformative to the future of the city. Um, Because that's that's off the books. Another accomplishment that all came out of our conversations. Um, So it's this kind of stuff that is really changing the direction of the city. And, you know, we're trying to do our part. Um, We need a lot more help. Um, But, you know, I'm still early in my career. So these are some of the, the wins that I can point to. And I'm hoping to do more and more in the years to come.
0: Yeah. What are some of the things you're looking forward to working on, you know, later this year or in in the next few years?
1: Uh, We are in a fight um, with the state DOT to stop them from expanding a highway through the city, Um, a highway that's already been expanded, Uh, a highway that um, goes through black and brown neighborhoods, a highway that 20 years ago when they said they needed to expand the highway, projected. All of these cars that were going to materialize out of nowhere. Of course, those numbers never um, came. It's the same traffic volume as 20 years ago. The costs have ballooned every year since this was proposed. So the next year, two years, are me fighting this highway expansion, Um, and that's a lot of our conversations around here. Um, Other. Things I'm interested in, um, better bike bike infrastructure here in the city. Currently, I am the vice chair of the Bike and Pedestrian Task Force um, here in the city. We advocate um, for better policies and initiatives that help promote biking, um, make biking safer, uh, promote more walkability, um, safer access for people on foot, and uh, really pushing that, that narrative forward uh, a lot of times it's, a, it's an equity issue, all the issues that we see in the city, all the problems, all the disparities, it's always an equity issue. It always um, adversely impacts people of color um, and people with um, low incomes. When We talk about transportation options, options when we talk about health disparities, uh, when we talk about access to amenities, it's all an equity issue. And this could be addressed by a better built environment. Um, So a lot of times we're having similar conversations with people who are fighting for um, equal rights, equal opportunities. Um, We just don't know it yet. Um, So how to, again, tell a better story about how this is really one ecosystem that we have here and a better Bike network over here is going to lead to better job opportunities for this community over here. Better access to parks on this side of town are going to be um, are going to lead to better health outcomes for this traditionally marginalized community. So helping tell a better story is really what it's coming down to. Yeah,
0: I love that. So, to close us out here, what advice would you give for somebody that's listening that might be interested in taking action on some of the things that you've been talking about today in their own community?
1: Uh, Start where you are. Start in your community. Start in your house, really. Don't even leave your house Um, to start, you know, educate yourself on the issues. Look around. Where are you seeing your problems in your daily life? I actually got this from from strong towns. Where are people having issues? Where are people suffering? And what is the smallest next step you can do to help alleviate that? If people are having issues um, crossing the street, why is that? Well, it's no stop sign here. Advocate for a stop sign. Um, people are having an issue crossing the street because there's no sidewalk. Um, you need to talk to your Department of Public Works about putting in a sidewalk. So start where you are. Simply observe what's going on around you and how you can make small incremental steps uh, and start having conversations with your neighbors. I have found that people don't get it until you bring it to attention and then they get it immediately and then they want to get involved in the fight. So start asking questions, start telling people where you're having issues and you're soon going to find yourself a community Community people who care as passionately, if not more, about these issues um, as you do. You're going to find people who are smarter than you. This has been my experience. So many um, intelligent people with so much wisdom and experience um, want to be in the fight, and we all need to know where to direct that, um, so help people get organized. So those are just a few of the things that I, I would say to get started in this kind of work.
0: Yeah. Great advice. Well, thank you so much Montavious Jones for coming on the show and sharing about your story and your perspectives and your wisdom. Really appreciate having you here today.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me on. Thank you um, for all the work you do for Strong Towns. Um, It's a great organization. I love it. I think it um, is changing the direction of our cities uh, for sure.
0: Thanks for being part of the movement. Absolutely. All right. I will make sure to get you Montavius' Twitter handle and travel website in the show notes as well. So you can check those out. Thank you as always to our members who make this podcast possible, who make all of the work of Strong Towns possible, meaningful, impactful. They are out there, the hands and feet of this movement across the world. If you'd like to join those folks, become a member at strongtowns.org membership. Thank you. And thanks so much for listening. We will see you back here next week for the next episode.